are back. We are back. Welcome, everyone, to Match Point Number 9, a Tennis Bets podcast. I'm one of two co-hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9Tennis on X and all the socials. You can find our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts these days. Please do subscribe. If you're a first-time listener, chance starts how you found us. If you're a returning listener, a returning champion, welcome back. I'm based in California, and I'm tossing it to my main man in Canada, Mr. John Reed. You can find him at Jared Tweets Tennis. He does betting content for his own brand, Tidbits Tennis. He writes for the Action Network, betting expert. He does post-match analysis for the Tennis Forum ticker. John, welcome in to our final Australian Open show of 2024. Thank you, thank you. Today, John, we've made it to the finish. There's only one match left on the men's side. We did some touting before the semis. So let's go over what did we win? What did we learn? Wins. Daniil Medvedev money line was a hedge for me. I also felt that was the play. And thankfully, I did hedge uh, because Medvedev did win against Zverev uh, in comeback fashion. And this was one, John, I know you had some feelings about this match, uh, but I woke up literally at 4-2 in the fifth. So I was quite delighted uh, when I saw my phone. Uh, what was your uh, general thoughts in this match, John? Oh, I thought it was just absolute disgrace from Zverev again. I mean, look, Medvedev comes back from two sets down, typical Zverev. And then he comes and turns around and, and wins a couple coin flips in, in the third. But it's the fourth set tiebreak. I mean, the guy needed a... And even he put his hands up as like apology after. And like his 5-5 fake... I don't, I don't know whether it's a fake drop shot or un, I guess unintentional drop shot that was supposed to be like a forehand slice just to get the serve back in play ends up getting him set point. He hits an ace and it's over. And it's like, yeah, I know there's still a fifth set, but Oh Lord, if I have to watch people victory lap that win, it's like, just take your win, slink back into the shadows, breathe your sigh of relief, screw off. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> slink back into the so shadows. <laughs> That's right. Take your ticket, be humble, be happy. You luck boxed out. And shut up. Don't uh, run around waving a ticket being like, I laid juice and barely won my bet and needed a fluke to do it. You just may as well wear the dunce cap around in public, just screaming, I made a bad bet and got away with it. That's how I feel about that match. Honestly, I'm just, I'm not even like, I don't even care about, it's not even the blown lead. I mean, those happen all the time. I had a guy lose from match point up today at the ITF level on a plus 190. That hurt way more than losing a plus 125 from two sets up, if I'm being completely honest. It's just, it's the reaction from Medvedev betters that is closer to tilting me than the actual loss bet, if that makes any sense. That's what happens. I, I had that handicapped as a 50-50. Zverev was better for two and a half sets. Lost a couple flips. Off he goes. So you didn't appreciate when I posted in our chat Medvedev uh, no. as the father of Zverev? <laughs> no. I mean, you saw the tone I responded to. I went, like, shut the fuck up. Like I can tell you, you were can, salty. You can, you can go back to bed now. <laughs> you can go back to sleep. It's early in California. Oh, Hell, it was early God. in Toronto. <laughs> Too funny, man. Also, John, in the wins category, we got center plus 800, which we tipped not just on our Australian Open preview show, John, but all the way back in our off-season pod, our first off-season pod, in which I actually tried to make the case to fade Yannick Center in 2024. And you, my friend, were... Firmly on the opposite side of that take. And you were so passionate about it, actually, John, that you convinced me. And I made a bet on Sinner to win the AO immediately after we recorded because of that passionate rant about it. So well well done, John. You also tipped Medvedev at plus 900 on the preview show. So 
a couple of outrights uh, in pocket for our listeners mm. here from the pod. Pretty nice. Uh, now, loss. I want to go ahead, quickly, go ahead. quickly over the um, the the center part too. A couple things here. First of all, how cool is it that you can't? It's hard to really see the tangible differences coaches make in like a player coach relationship. And I think Cahill and Simona, Simona was open about how much he helped her. And now you're seeing with Yannick, like you can see the service motion change and then you could see a direct impact in his serving statistics at the end of this uh, end of the season. Right. So you can see that direct impact from the coaching. Now, again, how about the scheduling? I, I truly feel that playing Kuyong was the perfect move. Play four, four sets of relatively laid back tennis don't force yourself to play five matches because you're too good unless you tank, and he doesn't know how to tank. you got to respect the kid for that. Don't burn yourself out the week before. He's scheduled perfectly, and his reward, a decent draw, and he's lost one set en route to the final, and he is as fresh as I'll ever be to win that first time. Just, I think, a brilliant coaching job from Darren Cahill. And I'll obviously give credit to Sinner because it's him putting in the work on the court. It's him that has learned bludgeon tennis balls from the baseline. It's him that's actually had to make the tactical adjustment on serve to make that first serve so much more potent and effective. Just credit all around to him. And the second thing I wanted to say real fast is I don't get to that Medvedev number without Sinner, without CLV on Sinner, right? Because let's face it, Medvedev is not getting cheaper without someone getting more expensive to back. And we got Sinner in the offseason at a number I liked. He ended up down to like six to one at some at some points before the AO. And the direct result of that was Medvedev drifting out from six and a half, seven to one to nine to one. Right. And that was the, the trigger for me to, to jump in and, and play that. So just another example of people who may not like CLV. I know in the heat of the moment, sometimes your play might lose when you have CLV, but think about it in that perspective. I don't get to have two tickets in the final. If it's not for understanding value and, and beating the market movement early on in that outright market. You mentioned the uh, service game from center. I talked about his first serve percentage needing to be high to get over the line in this Djokovic match. Uh, he does have 64% first serve percentage in the first set, 62% in the second set, and the fourth set, 58 so near 60%. And I thought he had some really timely first serves to, to pull out that fourth set versus Djokovic. Now, Djokovic was also pretty bad. He only landed like 44% of his first serves, which even if center wasn't playing well, just normal neutral center. I mean, if you're not hitting first serves against that guy, you are going to face break points, and he's probably going to convert more than not. So it was, it was not the best uh, night for uh, Djokovic's serve. You just completely abandoned him. All right, John, well, we do have some losses here. Uh, I mean, Zverev really hit one double fault in a five-set match. So my three-plus DFs for each player in the Medvedev Zverev at minus 145. Uh, this is why I never use the term lock on the show because, of course, the one time I do it, uh, that <laughs> lock gets uh, unopened. Oh, my God. Two tie breaks I chased. Uh, we got the one, like I said. But, uh, yeah, Djokovic, terrible service night. Couldn't get there. And then, John, uh, we, we talked about Zverev money line here. We won't go over it again. But uh, did not come in. <laughs> <laughs> did we? <laughs> yeah. I must have blacked out for that that rant. <laughs> uh, did you see? I didn't really see that many uh, victory lapping Medvedev betters. <laughs> Just myself. No, I think I think I tilted myself honestly, waiting for it to happen, and it never came. It's like waiting for. Godot. I felt like everyone was on Zverev. Spoiler alert! It was like waiting for Godot. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's that's what I felt like. I'm like ready to lash out at these Medvedev betters, and then none came along. 
<laughs> okay, well, then I just, I got ready to be angry for absolutely they, zero reason. They actually <laughs> slipped, slipped into the shadows. <laughs> hey, they did the right thing then. All right, John, we have one match left. It is the final between Yannick Center and Daniil Medvedev, which will be played under 48 hours from now. Conditions appear to be not grueling once again, but ticking up closer to 80 degrees, so a little bit warmer. Uh, wind played a factor in the Sinner Djokovic match a bit, although you couldn't really even see the wind like on their clothes. I know, I believe the wind was confounding Djokovic a bit. It seemed to, to bother him, uh, but up to 18 mile per hour gusts, uh, so that could come into play. Not sure about roof on or off. I believe this we played uh, with the sun still out. Yeah, I think well, it's like their summer, so their 7.30 p.m. should still have the sun out. I don't like it. It'll be played at 7.30 local, so do with that what you will. You can check sunsets on uh, – let me check the sunset on Google right now. But, I, yeah, I think they'll have uh, they'll have the sun. Yeah, 8.38 right now. So I'll have like an hour of sunlight, I would venture. Because, remember, you gotta they got to walk them out and do the warm-up. By the time first ball arrives, it'll be about 7.45 local. So they might get about 45 minutes in with the sun, something like that, an hour. So that's a little bit of the lay of the land here. Medvedev leads this series six to three in the head-to-head. The three for Sinner came in rapid fashion this fall, starting in Beijing, where Sinner won two tight tiebreak sets against Medvedev on his way to win Beijing's comically large trophy. I mean, this thing is gigantic. Go look it up. He also won in three in Vienna, uh, and he bested Med at the Tour Finals in Turin. Uh, Med also added a win against Sinner last year in Miami in late March, early April. Sinner was breaking down a bit in that match. I had a spectacular win that week versus Carlitos, who was the defending champ. And now this is from uh, our boy Piranha on Twitter uh, and in the Discord. But Sinner is 26-2 and on hard since the U.S. Open. 3-1 and versus Djokovic. 3-0 versus Medvedev. 1-0 versus Carlos. Lots of other quality wins, too. A strength of schedule, probably the toughest of anyone on tour over that stretch. Uh, Med is 17 and 6 over that stretch. So, just to talk a little bit about how well Sinner has not just been playing this week, but really since the end of the US Open, guy's been on fire here. Sinner is minus 280 on the money line. Medvedev is plus 240 as a dog. The spread is four and a half, totals 38. John, we have our Sinner outright, we have a Med outright. But I think there is a clear play on this match, and that is Daniil Medvedev money line at plus two forty. I mean, what are we even do- doing here? Yeah, I, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit nuts. I get that Sinner has just been playing Unreal Tennis, and I get there's people. I think there's going to be a time on court discussion that's going to play into this number a bit. And honestly, I'm not sure it really matters considering Daniil Medvedev gets a day off between all his matches, and there's one guy who's just not bothered by playing long matches. And playing two or three of them in a row, it'll be Danil. We're getting to the point now where I might even start looking at overs or a plus one and a half set spread or all kinds of different numbers that'll co- that will will line up with the money line and be showing value. Because I'm seeing some value on, on plus 240 or in that range between plus 230, plus 240. It's still moving around now uh, at Pinnacle. I just don't think that you can have Edmund on a quick hard court being under well under a 33% chance, like a 30% chance to win against anyone. Uh, in the sport, including Djokovic, including Alcaraz, and including Yannick Sinner. I think that, I mean, the way he beat Djokovic, it was resounding. Yes, he hit through him. There were a lot of hard... I mean, if he's going to keep hitting balls like that on the run that consistently forever, he's going to be the number one player by, I don't know, August. 
He is very good at doing that. He can still hit on the run. He, he actually covers the court better than it looks like the way he moves. He looks a bit like a little baby giraffe moving out there. But make no mistake, he gets around the court and he gets to a lot of balls and he can extend rallies. So aesthetically, he may not be the most silk, silky smooth mover, but he gets the job done. He's effective. I understand all that, but I mean, I'm still not convinced that he didn't redline a bit against Djokovic. And I'm not convinced that Djokovic, there were a lot of times Djokovic hit, first of all, backhand errors, which is not commonplace for him. But he also did it when he wasn't even under duress. He wasn't even under, under that much pressure. There were times, yes, he it felt like he was a bit rushed. There were other times he was just pulling them cross court and pulling them like three or four inches wide. It was super uncharacteristic of Djokovic. So I think that has to be considered as well. I'm not going to tell you that that it wasn't an impressive win. I'm not going to try and make that case. But I will say, uh, I do think that maybe there's a, a tad of an overreaction here. If Sinner does that exact thing to Danil Medvedev, well, then good on him. But we've seen Danil... All their matches were in quick conditions. What was it? Beijing, the tour finals, and what was the third one again? Uh, Vienna. Those are all medium fast to fast conditions. Beijing and Turin, two of the fastest you're going to find. Vienna in the medium fast range. It was a two-game margin of victory, two-game margin of victory. Then at uh, in Turin, he beat him down pretty pretty badly in the third set uh, to make it a... Even though it was three sets, it was a lopsided three sets. A lot of tie breaks here between these two. As you'd expect, a lot of close sets. Sinner is still not the greatest returner on earth. Med still has that big first serve. I don't think his second serve is all that attackable. I'm not sold on this being a lopsided matchup. Is Sinner the favorite? Of course he is. I mean, he's bludgeoning the ball and he's hitting through the likes of even Novak Djokovic's defenses. He's the favorite, there's no doubt. Is he the best hardcore player in the world now? Probably. After like three, going six and one against Djokovic and Medvedev and not just the head-to-head records, but he looks... Just as good, if not better than them in each of those matches as well, which is worth noting. Yeah, he's probably the best hardcore in the world. I, if you're power rating him as a dog on a hardcore to anyone, I'm taking him as a dog. It's not going to happen for the foreseeable future. But I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna take Medvedev here because at this point, I think we're getting a little bit far and I can buy low on a very, very good hardcore player. And the last thing quick, this gets me to the point of you have both outrights. A lot of people, I've seen a couple on the timeline talk about, I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the final and take my profit. Well, that's absolutely an option. You can't go wrong doing that. But if you see an edge on this match, bet it. Bet your edge. If you if you think that Medvedev wins this 35% of the time and you're not betting this, it's it's just a mistake. And think about it. This is the time to bet it. You're guaranteed profit from your outrights, right? It's almost like you're free rolling a bet that has that has an edge, right? I know you're not, it's not how it actually works because each bet has it carried carried its own risk and implied, but implied probabilities, et cetera, et cetera. I get that. But if you put yourself in, you know, from a logical standpoint, you can actually, this is where you should be betting your edge. And you should be betting them like as as much as your edge calls for. If you have a, a four or five point edge on it, which is tough to do in a Grand Slam final, I'll admit. But let's say you did have that. You, this is where you should bet it because you've got your profit locked in. Do not pass up on a plus EV opportunity if that's what your numbers dictate just because your profit's already secured. Be greedy and make sure you're actually trying to take advantage of the advantageous spots when they present themselves. Uh, there seems to be a coronation today of Yannick Sitter as the Australian Open champion. And he very well may be, but he still has to win one more match against a guy who has won a Grand Slam before, was in the final of this event two years ago, was up two sets, who said afterward... The kid stopped dreaming. The kid is going to play for himself. That's it. That's my story. You think Daniil Medvedev is going to go out there and let this little Italian punk steal another chance <laughs> at a friggin' slam? Are you effing serious? Like, 
I understand Sinner is playing great. Dude, t- take a step back. Plus 240 for Daniil Medvedev in this match? These are two of the top five players. Like, yeah. you, had, you actually had a great message earlier, too, in the Discord. And I was, as soon as you asked it, I was going to respond right away. And then I thought about it. I'm like, there is no real distinct response. But this is, I don't know which is worse, this or the Zverev price against Alcaraz. Whether he wins or loses, it doesn't matter. The fact is, this is not a 70-30 proposition. In my, at least by, by my calculations, it's not. And I think that that is ridiculous. Just like there's no way Zverev on any surface is not under 20% to beat anyone. I know he closed it at 4.35, so like 24-ish, 23.5-ish percent, somewhere in there. But I got him under 20%. There's no way that against anyone, Sasha Zverev wins less than 20% of the time. Same thing goes on a quick hard court for Daniil Medvedev. There's no way he, against anyone on tour, he should only be 30%. Two tiebreak sets was the first win against Medvedev. Two tiebreaks. The second win was three sets. And then the Turin finals, I'm just tossing that out because it's the finals and who really cares? I just, here's the thing too about all these matches we've seen so far. They really uh, turn on a dime. So Sinner could come out hot like he's always been and then drop the third set. And then we're truly in uncharted territory. Sinner obviously came through against Djokovic, but that's not a guarantee that he's going to do the same against Medvedev. And I know that Medvedev is going to play pretty well. I mean, he was also counted out against Carlitos at the U.S. Open. Ah, huh, yeah. Guess what? He won that. So I made that mistake. I'll tell you, I was part of that uh, mistake-making crew. <laughs> Won't lie to you there. Whoops. So, again, I'm not saying this is a, a lock. I just, I don't understand. I think the pricing is absurd. And I do think, even if I didn't have the center in pocket to hedge out on, that would be my play on this match. And that's really all I got, John. I'm excited. It's it was it was a good. I had a decent Aussie Open. I had a decent week this week. I think a lot of it was challenger related. As I've said many times, and I'll keep preaching, there's money to be made in challengers in the second week of slams. And by the way, and that that holds true for the Masters now too. The two week Masters, there's going to be money to be made in the in the second weeks. But and there's a lot of money to be made if you are capitalized. I mean, I'm not even capitalized enough to take full advantage of it. That you can get down thousands of dollars on some lines that are still pretty bad. Like they open at like four hundred dollars Canadian the limit. 437 I think it is which is something I think that's $300 American all our limits are basically our our conversion of an American dollar that's why our limits are like oh it's like 650 now that I think that's like 500 like 550 or something like you know what I mean like our random Canadian dollar limits on Pentagon I'm almost sure are tied to the the conversion to American dollars where they're more round numbers but I digress the the limits now open low but they really quickly like in a, within two hours they will get to four figures. There's a lot of money to be made if you have the capital to do it in challenger tour markets. And I had a great time doing it this week, but, and and next week we're back to a 250. We got some Davis cup action late in the week where we can look at court speeds and, and uh, which country pick the courts that they play on and see if we can find some edges there. For instance, Kazakhstan is going to Argentina to play on clay. Oh, Bublik and, and Yevsiev on clay. That's just going to be fun. Uh, but yeah, we're back to normal now for a month before Indian Wells. I'm pumped, man. These smaller tournaments, lesser fields, this is where we make money. It's been a, a fabulous Australian swing, uh, chatting it up, having fun on the Discord uh, with everybody. If you have won any money or just enjoyed the podcast, please do us a favor. Leave a review. At least give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. It really does help us out. You know, We want to do this as much as we can and if we keep growing i'm going to tell you what we're going to be able to do more episodes so 
please take care of that for us if you can. All right, John, we've reached the end of Australia. Until next year, we will be back next week. Until then, follow John at Jared Tweets Tennis. Follow us at MP9Tennis. Do give us that five-star rating. Until next time, see you on the court.